we think of ourselves as a technology company first and foremost, which you would think might be obvious for somebody that's providing digital infrastructure and backend pipes and plumbing. But I've observed in the industry that it is actually an area where there has been precious little innovation and perhaps not as much investment in really bringing forward the best that investors should expect. So having this, the, the API first approach to building the technology and making that our number one focus in an industry where there's a lot of money and probably kind of crowded spaces on the front end, what the investor can see, we're probably one of the few firms that first and foremost gets up in the morning and thinks about what you can't see. After spending 26 years rising through the ranks to become chief product officer at Morningstar, Tricia Rothschild decided she wanted to think about the industry from a different perspective. So she jumped from the front office world of Morningstar to the back office world of Apex Clearing as president of the high-tech custodian, which will soon be going public in a SPAC reverse merger. I spoke with Tricia about how the SPAC deal came about, Apex's big plans for technology-driven expansion into the RAA market, and a whole lot more on this episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. Hey, come on in, sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 94 of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, the founder and CEO of Ezra Group Consulting. If you work for an enterprise wealth management firm, an asset manager, an RA aggregator, or at one of the many technology vendors in our space, then Ezra Group can help you make better business and technology decisions. Check us out at ezragroupllc.com. This podcast features interviews, news, and analysis on the trends and best practices all around the wealth management technology industry. A couple of housekeeping tasks before we start. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss future episodes. A quick shout out to our sponsor, the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation at investinothers.org. And now let's get this interview started. I'm happy to introduce our guest for this episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast is Trisha Rothschild, president of Apex Clearing. Trisha, welcome. Thanks, Craig. So glad to be here. It is a pleasure that you could make it onto the Wealth Tech Today podcast as a guest. Uh, big fan of yours and love what you guys are doing and love what's going on over at Apex and happy to have you here to talk about some things that are in the news and some things you guys are doing. I was so happy that you invited me. And I actually, one thing I want to say right up front is I listen to your podcasts and I am, in addition to, to, to your questions and the guests, I actually really love your opening music. So <laughs> I find it to be kind of jazzy. Thank you. Uh, I can't take credit for that. I found that on a, one of those websites where you, but I, I picked it. So I'll, I'll take credit for picking the music. There you go. So cool. So um, let's start off uh, with, I mean, I'm sure everyone who's listening knows Apex Clearing, but in case anybody doesn't, can you give us a 30-second elevator pitch for Apex? Yes, sure. So um, Apex is uh, basically, the we think of ourselves as the fintech for fintechs, meaning we are a neutral digital infrastructure that powers businesses, financial services businesses that are trying to solve unique problems in the financial services world. Um, it's all B2B. We custody 
assets for these clients of ours. We clear trades for the clients of ours. We provide um, other services that support um, the enablement of their business models. So our clients um, figure out who they want to serve in in the investing world and what types of products and, and services they want to offer. And Apex does the how behind the scenes. That's good. We are the how. We're the how company. Yes. We, we get, we get yes. to figure out how it's going to work and how it's going to happen. And, you know, you guys have always been the fintech, the, the firm that fintech firms go to when they need custody clearing services. And you know, how did that happen? I mean, a lot of it is, I mean, in my opinion, it's because of your strong APIs and that you, that you expose more of your underlying tech in ways that these firms can use. Would you say that's a true statement? Yeah, I think that one of our, there's a couple differentiators, but, but one of the ones that certainly was um, part of the rapid growth for the past five years has been, we, we think of ourselves as a technology company first and foremost, and um, which, which you would think might be obvious for somebody that's providing digital infrastructure and, and, and backend pipes and plumbing. But unfortunately, I've observed in the industry that it is actually an area where there has been precious little innovation and, and perhaps not as much investment in, in really bringing forward um, the best that investors should expect in terms of speed and efficiency uh, and accuracy. So, so having this, the, the API first approach to building the technology and making that our number one focus um, in an industry where there's a lot of money and, and probably kind of crowded spaces on the front end, what the investor can see we're probably one of the few firms that first and foremost gets up in the morning and thinks about what you can't see. And, and so in, in my, one of the reasons I, I came to Apex, frankly, was because I felt like it was um, uh, 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 this part of the, of the ecosystem is, is so critical and yet so much room for improvement. We used to say that this, the custody is just plumbing. No one really cares about it until it doesn't work. But you guys really kind of flipped that script and made it something that you want to use and or not that you want to use, something that is easier to use and easier to integrate and able to use in different ways. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it should be it shouldn't be something that you're thinking about all the time. It should kind of be like air. It should it should work, um, but it should it should meet the expectations of the investor or the or the firm that is serving that investor. And that's where things like fractional share trading or you know, uh, instant account opening or instant cash transfer. Like how can we as, as, a, as an industry participant make that better? You gave me a lead in a couple, a little while ago where um, why you came to Apex. I wanted to ask you that question. So you spent 26 years at Morningstar. You rose to the level of chief product officer for all of Morningstar. Um, why leave and why choose Apex? Sure. So those were two separate decisions. Um, I, I, I did grow up at Morningstar. I, I love my Morningstar friends and had so many amazing opportunities there. And um, I mean, even now at Apex, which is a, a smaller company um, and, and at a certain inflection point for growth, um, when we talk about career opportunities for people within Apex. I, I say it's fun to be part of a growing firm. Like lots of opportunities come to you when you're um, you know, an ambitious, hardworking person at a, at a growing firm. And so Morningstar was a, a great place for me to do all sorts of interesting things over the years. Um, 
after 26 years, which was exactly half of my life, um, I decided it was time to just think differently. It was a good time in my personal life to, to take a little bit of risk and think about the industry from a different perspective. So, so I, 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 I left um, to just regroup and, and think about the, the next 26 years of my career in a different way. And then um, and, and think about kind of what problems I wanted to solve next. And that's when I started to think more about what happens after the trade is made, which was not something I had spent much time thinking about from my Morningstar perspective, which was all very much focused on, um, you know, better portfolio construction, better uh, tools that can be put into the hands of the investor or the wealth advisor. Um, and then, like I said, thinking more about like, well, who's doing the back end stuff and where where is the investment there and, and what is the opportunity? Um, and, and I will just say one other thing that attracted me to Apex in addition to the technologies is frankly the, the business model, which is, is because it's a, it's a B2B play and it's, it, we're, we're neutral in terms of um, serving all sorts of innovators and, and traditional firms who are looking to do things differently. Um, I, there aren't a lot of firms like us who do this at scale in the United States that are, are really a B2B play. Um, so, so the business model, I think is, it, it's kind of a unique, um, it, it solves a unique need. Like it's kind of like we're the Android um, in an industry where there's kind of more um, vertically integrated firms with investment management, technology, custody and clearing, and investor services all bundled together in one business model, which like, that's fine, fine business model, but, but I think the market needs something that's a little, um, a little, a little neutral that in, encourages competition. The industry needs more competition. I've said that more than once. Uh, I, I do a presentation that I, I give to firms and one of it is uh, one of the slides is showing the Google graveyard and the Google graveyard is a website that just shows products that Google has shut down. And I think the last time I checked, there was 160 of them. And it's just one company, right? So yeah. we, we just don't have enough innovation. And in order, to, in order to have innovation, you have to have failure, right? There needs to be companies yes. that are failing trying new things, failing, which we do have some, but there aren't that many that do that. Um, there just aren't enough new ideas coming into the industry. So I get what you're saying. Well, it depends on your capacity to take risk and, and how you think about risk. And in my early days at Morningstar, one of the things I learned really quickly is, is the woman I worked for who hired me, um, I, I worked for her in a couple of different capacities because the businesses she led were shut down or failed or weren't the best ones. And so she moved on to the next one. It never held her back. It didn't hold me back. We just went out and, and kept, you know, trying. And, and we, we were, I guess you could say, smart enough to know that if, if the idea wasn't gonna work, we shouldn't just like throw good money after bed and we would move on to the next thing. So, so there's, there are lessons about, about risk. Um, it, it, I mean, it's true for investing too, right? Um, when do you cut your losses? What, what's your risk? what's your actual risk capacity risk capacity versus risk tolerance the um so back on the back to the apis and and i i, I pulled out a quote i wanted to to throw out there is from uh, chris fessler who used to be the cto of apex and now works with a parent company 
I guess he moved up. He's managing director of tech, technology, a really smart guy. And he was speaking at the, the T3 conference. And he said, the development team at Apex writes APIs that are intuitive and high complexity and automate intermediate steps. They don't act, they don't act like an anchor around programmers' necks. And then that kind of really sums up, like you want APIs and for, uh, I have a computer science degree, so I look at it a little bit differently that the APIs need to be, just having them isn't enough. A lot of firms say, well, we've got these APIs, but they're hard to use, not well documented. It's such a pain in the butt to use them. They're, it's almost a waste of time. So you know, what, you know, what I've seen from talking to other companies that the APIs, your API library and what you, what you put out there is easy to use and easy to build on. Yeah, yeah. Well, and actually, I mean, as, as we talked about, I've, I've been at the firm for just about a year now, so I can't necessarily take credit for this, but I am, I am proud of it nonetheless, which is over the past year, um, we launched a new developer portal with, um, you know, even enhanced documentation and the, the feedback that we've gotten from folks that have gone in there and taken advantage of that and the, the speed to integrate um, can just really be, you know, improved so much when you have um, developers writing for other developers and people like me to prefer to do strategy and long-term planning and, and client focus work get out of the way and and let those folks um, you know set up the, the the sandbox and the developer site that they need to get their jobs done so so it is true like that's a really important part of of, of what we do is is not it is facilitating the kind of the better um, investor experience and also doing it in a way that's fast and easy to access while you're onboarding. I want to take a break from this episode to talk about one of our sponsors. It is the Invest in Others Foundation. The Invest in Others Charitable Foundation is a nonprofit that recognizes financial advisors for their exceptional, their exceptional charitable work. The nomination window for their 15th annual Invest in Others Awards is currently open. If you know a financial advisor who is actively giving back, please nominate them at investinothers.org forward slash nominate by April 2nd. That's only two days from now. So please do that. If this sounds like you, feel free to self-nominate. And in honor of their 15th year anniversary, the Invest, uh, the, the Invest in Others Foundation is increasing their award donation amounts. Finalists will receive $20,000 for their charity and the winners in each category will receive between fifty dollars and $75,000 for the nonprofit they support. I've had the honor of helping to judge some of these different categories. The categories include Catalyst, Community Service, Volunteer of the Year, and Lifetime Achievement. I think there's one more category for um, international, for charities that are outside the US. They do some amazing work. It's hard going through the, the, the nominations, looking at all the charitable work that they're doing and trying to pick one that we think is the best, really tough. Uh, if you go on onto the website, investinothers.org, you can see some of the work they're doing. Please also make a donation if you can. Your corporation most likely will will double it, match it, which will be helpful. So please um, look them up. Look them up at investinothers.org and nominate a financial advisor you know who is doing some great charitable work at investinothers.org forward slash nominate. Indeed. And now let's move on to our next topic, which is the SPAC. <laughs> the big news that came out about uh, Apex. Congratulations about the SPAC. So uh, Northern Star Investment Corp is in the process of taking Apex clearing public through a SPAC merger. It's a reverse merger that Apex will trade under the ticker symbol APX. 
Uh, so can, can you talk a little bit about that and you know why you guys decided to do that and what are you doing with all the money? <laughs> sure. Um, so the the demand, as you probably have noticed, for for like growth in terms of in retail investor access to markets and Apex's um, ability to in, invest alongside our clients. Um, it's just been like explosive. So, um, and the, the reason to go public via a SPAC specifically is to provide some extra liquidity to, to us to allow us to invest in talent, retain talent, and do some both, um, you know, continue to invest in orga organically, but also a little bit inorganically too, as we look at kind of what like strategic opportunities we see. And really it was the, the, the pace of the market change and, and where we see growth led us to think about a SPAC as the route because we can, um, it, it, we've been able to move it along very quickly and we found really great partners. Um, in the Northern Star team. So uh, Joanna Coles, uh, who along with John Ledecky are um, the sponsors of the SPAC, she will be joining Apex's board and she has experience in consumer brands and just thinks differently about how people can connect to their money. She's seen digital disruption go through media from her work um, in the media industry. She's on um, the board of SNAP. She, so she's seen, she's seen uh, disruption in in other digital disruption in other industries and is kind of bringing some of those same views to help us think about it even more um, aggressively in the context of financial services. And we can talk a little bit more too, Craig, about what that really means specifically for where we see opportunities. Um, but in any case, so that's, so that's the reason for the SPAC. Um, there's, there's no other major changes to our strategy in any way. Um, the, the, uh, firm will be privately held. Nobody's cashing out. Um, majority privately held is what I mean to say. Um, so we're floating about 15% of the shares. And um, Matt Helsizer and Jenny just, Jenny will be the chairwoman of the board. Um, and Matt will be on the board as well. So, so there's, there's, it's, it's, it's not such a, a dramatic strategic change in any way, as much as it is a way to make sure that we can grow in at the pace that we want um, and, and just think about where we, you know, want to place our bets. So, so what we're going to do with the money, um, in addition to the talent part of the puzzle is, is think about where these strategic opportunities are that we, that we can use to propel us forward. So instead of building everything, I mean, we, we, we build a lot and, um, it's important for us to control that, but there's certain things that, um, we might, uh, choose to, to pick up, to kind of round out certain parts of our workflow or our capability set or, reduce dependencies um, in certain places where um, we think we can be a little more streamlined. There's always opportunity for more streamlining in any company. But one area where I've seen you guys grow and are looking to, to build out more is in the RIA space. Uh, one, of, one of which is hiring you, of course, and you've made some other strategic hires in that area. So uh, I imagine that some of the SPAC money will go to help that. So what's your vision in the RIA space? So the Apex is really been more focused on the fintech space or more well-known. I see, I think maybe you're sort of like the, the dark horse in the REA yeah. custody market. Yes. Yes. Um, dark horse, bright light. I don't know. You can choose the, the image. 
Um, I, um, I see a couple of things that we can do differently um, and ideally better. Um, one, which is actually not so specifically to the RIA space, it's just more related to the, like you might call it the customer journey in general. I really think there is a place for closer intersection between self-directed and advised workflows from the front end. And so, so put aside whatever regulatory complexity or, or, or work you have to do on the back end or in the service layers. But honestly, if I'm an end investor, which I am, and I may need or choose to work with an advisor for a couple of years of my life because I've got some complex situation going on or I'm going through a divorce and I need guidance, which I'm not, but in my hypothetical example, um, you know, there's, there's a need to have, have guidance or advice. And then there might be another time in your life where you're really, it's, it's, it's quite calm, it's quite simple, and you actually would prefer to do, to do your, your journey in a self-directed way. Um, and then maybe there's a, a relative of yours that you want to kind of bring into your, to your mix. And maybe there's an advisor relationship that kind of comes into your household through, through, um, through somebody else or an adult child that has some specific needs or something. So, so how the, how the front end, um, journey works is it's kind of siloed today in, in terms of, of trading versus investing. So I think that there's there's a way for um, Apex to facilitate on the back end the convergence that we see happening on the front end. And and by the way, that happens with investing and savings um, and and probably you know insurance and other things too. Um, and the advisors are looking at ways to to be more relevant to their customers across all of those lines in order to, in order to add value when they can and, and keep kind of their eye on the client or keep the client um, happy even when they're not like necessary to do something day-to-day. -day. Plus it's more efficient for the advisor to have more digital workflows as part of the client journey. And, and that's what we facilitate on the back end. So that's, that's number one. Number two is in the, even if you put that thesis aside, if you don't, if you don't buy that or you don't think that's where the industry is going and you really believe that it's, you know, a fairly traditional advisory model and that is, that is what people will want, people with means, people with any kind of complexity whatsoever, and that that's the, the best path, then, then in, that, in that case, there is also, I think, a need for um, the, the neutral um, backbone to those advisors' practices. It's, it's not our job to take the victory lap, um, you know, with our brand. It's that's up to the advisor to to figure out how they want to serve their customers, and 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 they're they're the ones that can do that. So so we do we we have some work to do in terms of building out more custodial workflows um, or integrating with firms that have that. So we have no desire to overbuild. Um, we do not intend to ourselves get into kind of the front end. Game. We like providing options for folks, but we do we do know that with an API first view, um, not everybody that we talk to is a technologist. And I know last week you had um, Jason Wenk on, or maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. Um, Altruist um, sits on top of our platform, and I love what what they're doing, and I love Jason's vision and um, how he is looking to simplify the complexity for the advisor. And we're looking to simplify the complexity for, for firms like Jason's. Yeah, I thought that was a big win for you guys because of how well Jason's done his vision. Um, you know, he, he's got some, you know, heft in the, in the, in the industry. 
Um, people respect him from you know his series of uh, of successful startups, and how well Altus has done just in the in the two years they've been in business. So for them to pick you as their partner, you know, and it's a serious job to to support their their business, and that it required millions of dollars of investment on his part to integrate your, your with you. So um, not lightly chosen. Um, so it's I think it speaks highly of, of of what you guys have done and where you where you've gone so far. In terms of the RIA space to, to power more RIA platforms, because that's what Jason's building is really an RIA technology platform. Right. Right. So well, well, and and like I said at the outset, there's there's just so much complexity. And I think Jason said this in the in the conversation he had with you too. There's so many choices the advisors have to make. And um I the, I gave a talk a couple of years ago called the paradox of choice. And, it, and I mean, I, I still remember it because I believed it so firmly, like it's just too much. And, and at a certain point, I mean, yeah, it's great to have the best of this and the best of that and the best of the other, but, but there's friction in those choices too. And it also gets expensive. There's a lot of mouths to feed. Um, so there really is just, uh, I think a need to, to step back and simplify, um, make make things a little more seamless and streamlined and um, that, that we're, we're, we're really pleased to, to support a firm like Altruist or, or others who are looking to, to, to make their end, either their end advisors or their end customers' lives easier. Before I do the next question, I wanted to congratulate you uh, for Apex being named the best wealth management company for the fourth consecutive year in the annual FinTech Breakthrough Awards. Thank you, Craig. You're welcome. Appreciate it. You're welcome. That. I thought that was an interesting little factoid to throw out there. So um, next thing I want to talk about was some of the areas, that, like you mentioned before, opportunity. So how is Apex helping other companies grab opportunities in the market or, or facilitate them um, delivering new services and products in the market by, by providing the plumbing and the underlying? So one of the, one of the, one of the products you have yeah. is called Extend which I really like. And it's sort of, uh, again, a little bit below the radar. Um, I'm sure you're, you're in the process of building and expanding it, but it's really, you know, it's sort of a, the way you, you pitched it to me when we got the demo was that it's an, uh, a broker dealer in a box. Can you talk more about Extend and, and what the opportunities for that you see of firms coming into the industry? Yeah, yeah, sure. So this ties back to what we were talking about, about the, the fact that there's so much demand for, um, uh, self-directed um, investor applications, which is obviously fueled by um, zero commissions um, and the ability for people to um, kind of access the markets more readily through mobile devices and so forth and so on. So um, as we think about, as and as firms come to us and say, either we have an existing footprint with a lot of customers from like a retail um, brand perspective, and we want to add some sort of investing application into the into the mix, but we don't really have a brokerage background, or we don't have a technology background, or both. Um, can you help us, Apex? Because we want what you have to offer, but we can't. We're not going to build this ourselves. Um, that's where we really started to see the need for the brokerage in a box solution um, to kind of meet these clients a little bit closer to where they were at. And, and still let them kind of control the, the journey to some extent in terms of who they want to serve and what they want to uh, deliver to them, but not put the whole burden of the build on them. Um, and, and, 
and the regulatory piece, there's a lot of education that we do with firms who don't come from this space. So, so you know, it, if you think about the, the Goldman Sachs um, guys that have been hired over at Walmart and, and you know, it's not, um, you know, uh, super clear yet exactly how, how Walmart will transform or, or, or invest down this path, but it's clear that they are. And, and it makes sense to us at Apex that there, there should be kind of a, a, a digital infrastructure and some sort of a, a guide for firms that are, are looking to, to do something differently than perhaps it's you know, not part of their traditional uh, DNA. Um, so that, that's the need that we saw and that's why we, we, put, we brought that product to market. Yeah, there's definitely a need, and, and I think Walmart is going to be just the uh, like the first one jumping in with two feet. Other firms are going to see this and say, hey, "We need to get in there too." You know, why don't we have some? Why you know, Target might want to come in, and other competitors that um, see opportunities of leveraging their retail environments, leverage their traffic on their websites uh, to offer more options, you know, become a one-stop shop for consumers. And a product like Extend could become the the go-to platform that uh, firms use, at least firms that aren't big enough to build it themselves. Right, right, right. Big enough, and and like I said, um, and or um, don't necessarily think it's the best use of their um, money or time to 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 solve that part of the puzzle themselves. So just getting them a little bit closer to the goal, so they can focus on some of the end investor experiences directly. Um, I mean, the other place where where I see this happening is is firms that are perhaps in the financial services space, but not in the investing space, and so they don't really necessarily have that kind of brokerage background. They might have payments background or you know a large footprint. But 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 as 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 firms start to see the value of of a large customer base that they've amassed, and then they start to see the intersection of these interests between payments and saving and lending, you can you can kind of see where. Um, a brokerage piece of the puzzle would come in handy. And frankly, in, in some cases, Craig, I just think it's it's like the right thing to do to make um, access to the markets easier for people. So there's like 50% or 45% of the US population that doesn't really invest in all, at all. Like they, they don't consider themselves to be investors and they're not um, um, participating in the markets. And there's no reason that has to be the case anymore. You can you can you can access um, the markets without necessarily having to have a lot of money to put aside every month. And yeah, for sure, you can also make a lot of mistakes doing that. But like we that want to also tap into underserved parts of the market um, have access. We, we work with a firm called Carver Edison that is um, reinventing how employee stock plans are serviced through the employer and they can do this cashless transaction. And so we facilitate behind the scenes, the cashless transaction. And it's really meaningful for hourly workers that otherwise wouldn't have ever thought of themselves as participating in the market to have access um, through their employer stock purchase plan. 
So it, it's, it's kind of gratifying to see how we could reach more people, not just take more of the wallet share from the people that are already in the market, but reach more people who aren't in the market at all. That's a worthy goal. The um, one thing you mentioned was uh, making mistakes. And a question I like to ask guests uh, is that the, the lead up is you learn more from your mistakes than your successes. And I, I always like to ask, what's your favorite mistake you made that you learned the most from? Um, probably the one I think the most about, um, was eight years ago or so when I was in a strategy role at Morningstar and I had this great vision (laughs) for what we should do as a firm. (laughs) And I had support from at least one or two other executives at the firm and somehow, I don't know, I guess I was overconfident or I was moving too fast, but I was pretty sure that everybody supported this vision and that it was just going to be made so. And um, I, I learned after several months that what I said and what people did <laughs> didn't necessarily match. And I was just so devastated and disappointed that that like I was saying all these things, but the activity wasn't following along behind it. And I learned from that, that you, you've got to go back and regroup and, and there's, there's leading, but there's also like following and followership. And so having, having people follow you is really actually more important than leading. Um, and uh, yeah, I think about that a lot. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. It's uh, not always, not, not everyone has, a, has an answer and or not everyone wants to admit they made a mistake. So I appreciate you. Uh, you, you giving oh, us I, that I don't like to insight. admit it. <laughs> <laughs> but you did anyway. And, and you know, we are now out of time uh, and I have uh, so many more questions to ask you. So I, I definitely want to have you back. And thank you again for being on the program and taking the time out. I know you're, you're, you guys are super busy with all the work you're doing, running the company and the SPAC and all the other things happening. So I, I, I know every minute you have is valuable. And thanks for taking this, uh, this time out to talk to me. My pleasure, Craig. Thank you for having me. Talk to you soon. I will talk to you soon. Take care. Hey, it's Craig again. Hope you enjoyed this episode, uh, interview with Tricia Rothschild. I got a lot out of it. A couple of the interesting tidbits I pulled, uh, Apex is really growing by leaps and bounds. It's, it's really impressive. Uh, 200 clients, more than 14 million end investors on their platform through all their various uh, fintech and robos and other, other tech platforms that are using Apex on the back end. And 4 million new investors just first quarter of this year, 40% increase over the end of 2020. That's just huge. Huge momentum for Apex going into the rest of the year. And another piece of information which didn't get into the program, but uh, I got an email from Apex afterwards. Eight million other end investors are under the age of 40. That's more than 50%, 60% of their end investors under the age of 40. That really speaks a, a lot about who their clients are, who their, their uh, fintech clients are targeting. So Apex seems to be on the cutting edge of the next generation of wealth uh, wealth gatherers and uh, wealth inheritors. Uh, 
Surely. A couple other pieces I really liked about where they're going, uh, where Tricia is taking them in the RA market, the intersection between self-directed and advised, which I think has been very siloed in the past. And with uh, the pandemic and really the explosion of trading uh, people coming on, especially younger investors through apps like Robinhood and others. So we're gonna, I think we're gonna see more of a mix of self-directed and advised uh, platforms throughout the RIA space. And something I don't, I don't think we talked about is the, the breadth and depth of, of Apex through the industry. I mean, firms like SoFi, of course, we all know Wealthfront and formerly Betterment used uh, Apex, but firms like SoFi, uh, Webull, eToro, Stash, uh, you're using Apex, it's in the back end, you don't even know it. Uh, of course, Altruist, I talked about uh, to Jason Wenk, the CEO of that company, really fast growing RIA tech platform. They're uh, tied up with, with Apex. So that they're getting a lot of traction. A lot of the, they're, they're, it's going to be, we always sort of Intel inside. Now it's going to be Apex inside of a lot of these brokerage uh, and financial applications, whether they're uh, turnkey asset, turnkey advisory tools, purely advisory platforms, wealth techs, brokerages, uh, turnkey brokerage tools, consumer uh, lending and investing. They're really uh, making it um, uh, making a dent in the industry and becoming the de facto uh, platform to go to when you need custody clearing for any fintech. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. Please go to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com and sign up for our newsletter. You will not be disappointed. Every month you'll get uh, an update, just one email with some news and information from around the industry. And I will talk to you all again next time.